Well, welcome to Coffee with Vern, a time where we enjoy conversation with each other of the truth of scripture, theological truth, and then once a month, we will cover a question segment from your questions sent in to coffeewithvern at gmail.com. Bokertov, good morning to everyone. You may be watching this in the afternoon, so good afternoon. Or if you're a late bird, good evening. Welcome back to Coffee with Vern. Jesse, how you doing? I'm doing good. good. Malone, water Malone. Hey, Malone. You doing all right? Yes, sir. Doing well. Malone is back. He was out of town, but now he's back. You went to a pastor's conference. Is that right? It was a, a retreat. A retreat. Excuse me. Yes. Did you get a spa? No, not oh, that. Dude, that would be awesome. <laughs> you know how we were talking yesterday about like conferences and all. If there was a conference that said spa included and it had like a sauna and all, count me in. That's the best thing about the Omni gym. When I was at Omni, I went to the, the sauna and just sat there. Mm. Thought in my thoughts. Thought in my thoughts. Okay. <laughs> Quote of the day. Thought in my thoughts. Thought in my thoughts. Um, well, welcome. This episode, uh, let's give a shout out, is brought to you by Ubora Coffee. Yes. Uh, this is shout out to my barista, Morgan. Uh, she's the best at making coffee. Rwandan pour over. Um, we don't have any coffee on tap today. I'm so sorry, Malone, because you need it. Oh, I've already had some. Are you sure? Okay. Yeah. I need you. Uh, you didn't need to drain the pot today. Are you sure? <laughs> I'm sure. Um, but this is my second. So shout out to Ubora, your local roasteries. Go down there. Uh, they're the bomb. Um, and we've got a fun episode today. All right now, as you see, before we even get to that, there's no Braves gear. Um, I'm not going to elaborate because me and Malone may start punching things. I don't know if Malone's angry like I am about it. Um, I'm still pretty frustrated. Let's just say go Tampa Bay. Uh, wax the Dodgers for me. Um, yeah, it was, you know, that was ugly. Didn't you stay up to watch it too? Yes, I stayed up. I mean, but the nights I could watch it. Um, gosh. some nights I didn't have the channel. It's painful. Jesse's not a baseball guy like we are. I don't watch it. So I didn't have the heartbreak that you guys have. I had the heartbreak, felt it within. Listen, I'm used to that though, right? Stop. Don't even, I mean, Georgia tech. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, true. I'm, I am so used to that. It's unreal. But see, we're used to, as Georgia Bulldogs, Falcons, and Braves fans, making it there, and but not finishing. It. Yeah. I, you know, so. The Greg Norman of sports. It's painful. Um, but hey, it's all good. We have better things to look <laughs> forward to. We had Transform this weekend. That was awesome. Um, and... Another busy week. We're planning for the next thing. We've got student events just coming out the woodwork. And so I'm excited. Hey, we got Reformation Day t-shirts coming in next Monday. So hopefully all three of us will have one as we finish up this series on the Reformation. Um, and so next week we'll be talking about none other than, let me go ahead and grab them. Come here, buddy. None other than the Martin Luther. There he is. Isn't that awesome? Uh, so next week will be Martin Luther, brother Martin Luther. We'll talk about him and the 95 theses and all that good stuff as we look forward to Reformation Day. Uh, we'll be, what is that, next Saturday already? I mean, mm -hmm. it's almost in October. Yes. Trunk or treats this Sunday. Mm -hmm. Holy cow. Yeah, it is. Wasn't it just August and we were talking about this? Wasn't it just January? That's okay. how I feel. Yeah, for real. Uh, wasn't I just at D now and now I'm planning it again, right? Exactly. So scary, uh, honestly, but... Good stuff. So today, though, last week we talked about Ulrich Zwingli and John Knox. The week before we talked about William Tyndale. We're hitting some of the big names of the Reformation. Um, 
Well, today we're talking about J.C. John Calvin um, and his life uh, and really his heart of ministry. Um, I was telling Jesse prior to coming in, you know, a lot of people have heard the name. Right? Even today, I'll give you an example. I was at the coffee shop this morning and I was kind of studying up, getting some notes together, finishing up for today's episode. And a guy that just moved here from Texas, he saw my books and he's like, are you a theologian? And I'm like, that, that was his exact words. Are you a theologian? I was like, I'm a youth pastor, <laughs> um, but I desire to be. So yes, <laughs> but um, you know, so a lot of people know the name. Um, it's been around for a while. You know, the name has obviously as he was born in 1509, but, uh, and a lot of people know a little bit, they hear things, yeah. but n- no one really knows his life and ministry unless you dive into reading about him. Um, and his life and ministry is one that I will be a hundred percent honest. I desire my ministry to be the ministry of God that I am serving in. I pray that mine is half as what his was. Um, just to give you a quote that sums up kind of what his ministry was. He said this, my ministry dot, dot, dot ought to be dearer to me than my own life. Like if that is a quote, not living by, or if, that should be a quote worth living by daily. I mean, I throw that up on the wall. Let's just put it in my office. Right. Let's put it above my door. You know, like football teams tap it on the way out. Let's do that. Whoops. You know, go into ministry. Whoops. <laughs> but um, that was who John Calvin was. And so today we want to talk about uh, him because he is a huge part of the Reformation. Yes. A big name in it. Um. But I also, I told Jesse, I said, I want him to get due diligence for his ministry of who he was. Let him not just be a name that we hear occasionally. Let his heart and ministry and life and legacy be something that we look to and we go, thank you, God, for men like this. And may we as men in the ministry desire to be like that. And so, um, yeah, let's get let's get into it. Sound like a plan? Yeah. I feel yes, like sir. we should have brought some coffee because me and Jesse, we were like, man, we did some reading and reading. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so and we got stacks of books everywhere. I mean, it's just a good time. So we're going to have some fun with this. So I'll, I'll give some of the quick facts. You kind of hop in. We'll just, we'll just toss it around like we did. Uh, so as I said, he's born in 1509, July 10th, 1509. Now, Jesse, go ahead and you say the French. <laughs> I, Je- looked, I looked up how to say it because yes. I, I told James I didn't want to be that southerner from georgia that just butchers you want me to be the southerner real names. quick and then well, you how, say it. yeah tell me how you said it um the I, first time i read it it was no yawn friends no yawn friends right it's <laughs> noyon <laughs> noyon yeah so it's uh noyon noyon france i'm a redneck i can't do that <laughs> he no was yon. born in noyon france <laughs> no yawn no yawn that's what she said july 10th 1509 no yawn french yeah um but yeah noyon france no he yon. was french so um, we have Luther, who's German. Mm-hmm. We have Tyndale, who's English. We have Knox, who's Scottish. And now we are in France with well, John Calvin. Sort of. To a degree. Yeah. To a degree. <laughs> that, let's pump the brakes. To a degree. Sorry. But I think it's kind of cool that the reformers are kind of spread out all over Europe. Mm-hmm. You'll see their ministries kind of spread in different areas, but from all different areas. Um, and then uh, I've got some other facts as his life starts moving, but... Uh, let's talk a little bit about his early life. So uh, some of the reformers had some rough childhoods. John Calvin was not one. He had a pretty good childhood. You know, he was a one of many children. 
And something I read, I don't know if you read this, uh, you know, losing children was common right. in this time. Um, and so he was one of the few that did survive. His parents had many children and they lost many of them. And this was common, which is crazy to think about because today, because of the advance of medication, all it's not as common. Right. Um, but uh, he was one and in a young age, I think it was the age of 14 or 16, went to the university to begin his studies in writing and literature and language, learning different languages and how to write. That was a common practice. That, and Martin Luther was the same way. Uh, his father uh, worked within the papacy and then the, the Catholic church as an accountant. Mm -hmm. So he was raised pretty much to be groomed into that. that. Yeah. Um, so that, that's a little bit of a shot. Do you have anything else you want to add in on that? Yeah. I mean, he was, he was raised to be a thinker. So yeah. when he grew up, he was already proficient in Latin. What his favorite, one of his favorite subjects, which he excelled at was philosophy. Gosh. So he was, he was groomed. Yeah. Groomed to be a theologian and yes. thinker by far, mm -hmm. um, which is mind boggling to me because philosophy um, I've taken one philosophy class and it hurt me <laughs> I, and I, I don't know if I ever want to take another. Right. Um, but from a young age, uh, and if, and as I wrote right here, his father desired for him to go into the priesthood, right. Uh, because he worked within it. Um, and then some things happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, we'll see, you know, his father's excommunicated, um, many say, and that's kind of what led to his breakaway from the whole idea of the priesthood. Um, but it's just real interesting that this, he was groomed for this. He was groomed to be a thinker. And then the Lord, he writes in some of his own writings of a somewhat Damascus experience of really the Lord just convicted me and changed me. Yes. Um, which I think is really cool. And it's amazing that God used, although learning and growing in the papacy and the Catholic church and things like that, used that to equip him for the work of the ministry, just as we saw with the apostle Paul, mm -hmm. because uh, think about, this is a cool parallel. You think about all of the training that Paul had trained under one of the greatest rabbis of the time, but how all of that God used for his ministry under Christ, right? Well, he would refer to all of that history and Jewish knowledge that he had. Amazing. So I think that's cool. We see that here. Um, so a cool fact of his young age, uh, one of the main books that people refer to the institutes, which we have right there. He started writing that at the age of 26. Yeah. I'll be 24 tomorrow. So, uh, Jesse Holmes this morning was like, James, you might want to get, start writing, right? Go ahead and start. You got two years. Um, well, I don't know what I would title, uh, my book. It would be, um, not institutes. It would be the layman's terms of James Barnes probably. Uh, but Anyways, uh, just amazing. His whole life at a young age was centered around thinking, but then after that big conversion, biblical thinking. Mm -hmm. And so I'll, I'll toss it to either one of y'all if you have anything you want to add while I kind of get some stuff prepared to dive in on his ministry. Yeah, I mean, it just seemed, it was like you said, it, it was kind of like Ulrich Zwingli's conversion. It just kind of happened naturally. Right. Uh, the more he dug in, the more, he, and he already had learned. I mean, he knew Latin. Yeah. He learned Greek when his father made him switch from theology to law. Oh my gosh. And so he learned Greek then. And so the more he studied, the more that he realized that 
something was wrong in the papacy. Right. And I have, I got to find the quote. If I can find it, I wrote one or marked one where he talks about, um, here he goes. He said for Calvin preaching was at the center of the work. And we're going to get to talking about his pastor and stuff. Do you have this quote written down that I'm about to read? Oh, I don't think so. Um, but you're talking about biblical languages. Mm-hmm. He said, for Calvin, preaching was at the center of the work of a pastor and required that a minister be thoroughly educated in the biblical languages of Greek and Hebrew mm-hmm. and in theology. Um, and so at a young age, learning Greek, I mean, me and Malone have taken Hebrew. Uh, Malone, you've taken Greek too, right? You've done both of them. Mm-hmm. I'm getting ready to start Greek. And I think about how hard Hebrew was. And at a young I'm thinking like if I was 16 and learning Greek, at 16, all I was doing was learning how to woo women, not Greek. <laughs> incorrectly. Uh, 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 yeah, incorrectly, too, in English, not Greek. Yeah, I should have gone up to and, and tried the Hebrew. <laughs> you are so beautiful. <laughs> I mean, you know, and so I, I wish my life would have been like this in the sense of desiring these things at a young age. But this was this is a cultural thing, too. We'll see it with yeah. Luther next week. Young age, learning these languages proficiently at that which is amazing to me. Um, but let's get into, let's get into the fun stuff, which is his, his life as a pastor and preacher. Mm. Cause many of them, you know, okay, John Calvin was a theologian and I'm one that I think a theologian and a pastor and a preacher are different things. I'm, that's who I am. I think you can be all three, but yeah. I think they're different practices, they if are. you will. Um, and so we think of him as a theologian, but more than a theologian, he was a preacher and a pastor. So I'll let, I'll let you kind of yeah. t- start. I mean, y'all hit in. If you have anything you want to add, Malone, y'all just jump in before I get into it. Well, what's funny is he didn't start off that way, right? He didn't want to be a pastor and a preacher. Right. He was. He basically said, no, I'm sorry. I, I'm a thinker and I'm a writer because he loved to write. He did. Um, when the persecution in uh, France started to happen, that's when he and his family left uh, and they took refuge in Basel, Switzerland. Yeah, ba- Basel or Basel, Switzerland. Yeah, however, I remember I did, that. I, remember I did not look that. up that one. Basel. Yeah. Uh, he sought refuge there, and that's when he wrote the Institutes of the Christian Religion. Um, and it was meant as a manual. Oh, there's the light again. Yes, Lord. It was meant as a manual, an elementary manual for those who were interested. El- elementary. Yeah. Okay. Have you have you read any of the institutes? Briefly, but what you read was it elementary to you? No, I would not picture. <laughs> yeah. it. 20, My point exactly. Yeah, I wouldn't picture a twenty six year old. I think of an old man. Yeah, right. Well, and <laughs> wait, that's what I thought. Yeah, I genuinely thought because he lived to be in his fifties, I believe. Probably, I think uh, it was fifties. Do you have an exact? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, in fifty three, he he died in sixty four. So 1564. Yeah. He was in his Mm fifties. And so I'm thinking, yeah, he wrote institutes and he was a well-seasoned pastor, preacher. (laughs) And then I read this kid and I went 26. Yeah. It's before really his ministry took flight. Right. That's a good lesson for those listening, the students that, Hey, yes, that is, you can accomplish a lot in your youth. Yeah. And that's kind of what we want to get at with this episode is, Hey, there's a lot you can get started now, which I'm going to come back to when we get to the application of this. Listen, if you were here this weekend at Transform Weekend, about to throw down on you. All right, but keep going, anything. So in that one, the major thing that I saw was 
he argued the indefectibility of grace. Oh, that word. Because at the time, the Catholics were always anxious about their spiritual destiny, right? right? They were, oh man, am I going to get to go to heaven? I need to do more good things in life yes. just to make sure. Just so, to make sure. For because you know I'm writing this book starting now James's layman yes. terms. Please explain the indefectibility. What but use the layman's so, terms. We like to say here at West Acres, once saved, always ah, saved. Ah, there it is. Yeah, something you might not know about John Calvin is he was the one who started saying yeah. made it popular. I would say he was an advocate for perseverance of the saints, yes. preservation mm-hmm. of the saints, indefectibility yeah. of grace. Yeah. So that was that was the thing about that. So he wrote that when he was in Switzerland. Um, and he settled down in Geneva. Oh, Geneva. And a local church leader, William Farrell, um, heard he was there and he went to Calvin. He said, look, I'm, I'm trying to start, you know, a local church here. I need you to help my mission. Yeah. Calvin, Calvin said, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Geneva was, I'm trying to think of a good, uh, I was trying to think of a good biblical, and I will say Geneva at one point, if you read a lot about him, you'll see Geneva was kind of like a Nineveh to Jonah mm. in a sense. Like he didn't want to be at Geneva right. early on. And Pharaoh's like, no. Well, it sounded like on. he was just passing through. Yeah. And then Pharaoh's talking to him and he said, if you don't help me, may God curse your ministry. Woo. <laughs> I remember when I read that back in college in this book, this one right here. Yeah, and yeah. Pharaoh's like, God's going to curse your ministry if you don't stay. Yeah. And so and he saw that as, yeah. okay. Calvin was like, all right. You pulled that gonna card. Going to stick this one out. Yeah. Can you imagine if, can you imagine when we were interviewed, if Pastor Larry was like, oh, James, <laughs> if you think of anywhere else, God's going to curse Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, yeah. Pastor. Yeah, so he, <laughs> he settled there and he helped Pharaoh for 18 months. And then he and Pharaoh were both banished yeah. from Geneva. Right, but... But, in, and that was in 1536. So in 1541, after he had written more and more... And, and more. more <laughs> um, Geneva asked Calvin to return to the city, and that's when he um, tried to establish the Theocratic Society. Yes, and that's when the school of Geneva right. really took flight. And if you know anything about the Genevan school some phenomenal theologians came out of it. Mm-hmm. Some big boy names. And I would give them all to you if I remembered all of them. But we ain't got time. But I remember studying. Uh, I can't remember who it was, but there's some big names that came out of Geneva. Yeah. Because of his willingness to go back. Yep. And that's really where he stayed. That's he, where he really finished. He went back at, to Geneva and he tried to set up this system and he worked on that for the rest of his yeah. life. I love that concept, theocratic society, meaning a God-centered society. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. wow! If we can divinely led government or divinely led, I, I would five bucks says that that's probably when he developed the quote. Are you ready for it? This is the one. Let your ears be attentive. Here we go. When God wants to judge a nation, oh, he gives yeah. them wicked rulers. Yep. Trying to develop a theocratic society. That's probably because, I mean, he saw some of them leaders, the especially the, at the time, the Catholic leaders, as wicked rulers. Yeah. And I think that's a, I think that's a quote that's going to be applicable here soon. Yeah. Uh, that when God wants to judge a nation, he gives them wicked rulers. Mm. Yeah. It's just like Benjamin Franklin's quote, too. Very similar. Um, that yeah. I'm not going to bring up. I don't want to misquote what is it at all. Yeah. Go ahead. I'll misquote it. Uh, <laughs> 
What is it? I, I'll, I'm scared of the day when God gives us. It gives America the leaders they deserve. Leaders we deserve. Yeah. yeah, there you go. So, but I think, you know, you look at John Calvin's life and his, that, that what's really amazing is that time in Geneva, he cared immensely for the people. So just like Martin Luther with the bubonic plague, when it came through, he was desiring to visit the sick. Um, he actually, the leadership in where he was at the time, and I, I think it was Geneva, but I don't want to exactly say the leadership banded him from visiting sick people in his church. They said, bro, you can't, but you're done. <laughs> yeah. Martin Luther said, well, I don't care. He housed them in his house. Yes, he did. Um, and the Lord protected both of them in that, which I think is so amazing. Their ministry, they cared about their people. And so one of the big takeaways that when I read this book, and this is a great book for anybody that wants to learn more in the short uh, by Robert Godfrey, John Calvin, Pilgrim and Pastor, talks about really his life and his ministry more than anything. Uh, it talked about um, we when we look at John Calvin, we think a lot about theology, but we forget to think about his heart and he loved yeah. his people. And I think that's amazing. So let's get, we talk a little bit about his pastoring. He loved his people. He visited the sick during the bubonic plague, which was 30 to 90% kill rate. Mm. All right. Now let's talk about his preaching because this is where it gets juicy, right? There, if there's a man that loved to pre, that loves to preach more than Calvin, point him to me. Point me to him. Yeah. I'm having a hard time with words today. That's all right. Anna Caps is running off on me or rubbing. See? Wow. You are having me. a hard time. Man. It's because you didn't bring any coffee. <sighs> Morgan, what did you put in my coffee? She didn't give oh, me that Vietnamese is. anymore. <laughs> oh, wait. There you go. All right. So bring in the bring in the preaching facts. Bring them, bring them all. Let's go there. You want me to say how many times? This is my favorite is thing I, about John Calvin right here. And you know yeah. it. So bring it on. Okay. So he preached two times every Sunday. It's not, you know, everybody understands that. However, every other week he preached every day. Cool. Every other week. And when he was not preaching, so the weeks he did not preach every day, he was a lecturer, a uh, professor of the Old Testament three times a week. So he was either teaching, he was either preaching every day or he was teaching three days a week. Essentially, he taught every day of the week. Essentially, Basically. is what we got at. Basically. And I read one thing, I think it was Calvin that I read back in college, that, um, you know, there's that statistic of the actual how it flowed, but there would be times he was preaching 10 times a week. Yeah. Uh, and on the, was it Sunday? Do you remember reading this? Sunday mornings was the New Testament and during the week was Old Testament. I don't know. I can't remember if it was Luther or him. One of them did that. And they focused so intently on the Old Testament during the week because nobody knew it as well. And I thought I was, I'm like, mm. maybe that's something we should take away today, yeah. you know? Um, yeah, he loved to preach. Uh, John Knox was known as a lion, right, in the pulpit. Uh, John Calvin was also known as a fierce one in the pulpit mm. um, because they saw the scriptures as that important, yeah. right, to be preached in power. Um, I'm going to pull up some stuff on that. Um, this is really cool. About 1,500 of his sermons have been published. Mm. How many sermons have we written, Malone? <laughs> yeah, I think it's interesting, too, that they said he didn't use notes. Yeah, that's oh, crazy. No. Charles Spurgeon was the same way. Yeah, yeah. So what I find interesting is when we have his like commentaries, mm-hmm. I'm just like, okay, who recorded these? Because <laughs> yeah. they said he didn't. He didn't write out his sermons. Right. Yeah. And this is to add to that 1546, he started producing his commentaries 
right? And that's in the later years of his life. Yeah. But on average, he produced one commentary a year on a different book of the Bible. And like his Genesis one, which I have right there that I love, is like, how could you even have thought of getting through this in a year? Right. Uh, me, let alone five years. I'm like, yeah. How? They didn't have TV. Nope. Have, <laughs> there was little distraction. This is what they did. Very little distraction. Yeah. And and to add a quote to that, um, it, it just goes back to that whole concept. My ministry ought to be dearer to me than my own life. Yeah. He saw that as that important. Well, he did. I mean, to speak to that quote, he was known to push his body to the limit. And so, like, if he couldn't walk, if he was ill and couldn't walk to the church, he would get somebody to carry him in a chair to the church. Yep. Uh, when he was too sick to leave the room, he would have people come in his room and he would preach. Mm. And somebody asked him one time, why don't you rest? And the <laughs> quote was, what, would you have the Lord find me idle when he comes back? <laughs> I So I was telling Jesse, um, you know, I think, I don't know about you, how many people come up to you and say this. I think it's different when a pastor kind of, says it to one another, like, Hey man, like, you know, it's good to rest. It's, it is, or, or it's good to have a sabbatical. I think it's always good when we hear that from other brothers in the faith. Yeah. But you know, when the laymen are like, Hey man, you're doing too much, you know, you might slow down. <laughs> things like that. I, this is what comes to mind. It's like, yeah, let my life be a sac. And I said it, you know, I think it, we were talking about it yesterday. You know, I, I, or I thought about it maybe after we talked was, you know, if Jesus gave everything for me, how much more should I give absolutely every fiber of my being for him? Right. Um, and that's that was Calvin's life. So one thing that may be disturbing to talk about, but I'll bring it up, because uh, Martin Luther and John Calvin both struggled immensely with stomach problems, mm. both of them. Now, I have stomach problems. I'll just go ahead and admit, but I'm not going to get into that. But just to, to kind of elaborate... When your stomach hurts, that pretty wi- it wipes you out. Would we agree? That that's in the core yeah. of your being. Yeah, it, it wipes you out. And so you think about these men. Both of them wrote of the pain of their stomachs and how it would cause issues on their desires to work. Because I know when like you have like a bad cramp in any part of your body, you're like, oh gosh, I can't move. As you brought that up, both of them struggled with immense health problems at times. But what did it do? What did it not do? It didn't keep them from doing mm-hmm. the Lord's work. Yeah. Which I, I think is just, you talk about a calling placed on their lives. They saw it as more important than their physical being ever. Mm-hmm. Something amazing to take away. It, it makes me think, God, if, if it comes to where every part of my body hurts, still may I get up and be in your word and produce what you've called me to do. Yeah. It's just awesome. Awesome stuff. Um, and I've got some stuff I'll look up. Anybody have anything else you want to add before we kind of? start adding some applications even man i could talk about y'all know me i could talk about john jc all day Mm -hmm. i love me some jc because the influence that he his works have had on my life well i think it's just all you know i think it's all really good stuff that we've kind of discussed like and things that we should take um away and, and apply you know there are so many applications that we can pull away from men as such that god has given in our lives not to worship right not to idolize, but to go, God, I desire to be like your servants that you have used for your calling and your ministry. Cause I'll be honest. I look at Paul and I go, Lord, I want to be like the apostle Paul. Yeah. I, I look at Peter and I go, Lord, I want to have the oomph that Peter had. 
um, or the heart that these guys had for the Lord. And then we have people like JC and Ulrich and John Knox, William Tyndale, this willingness to serve the Lord. I want to have that. Um, but uh, one thing B.B. Warfield that I love, and we can end on this, he said about John Calvin. If you don't know who B.B. Warfield was, he was a phenomenal theologian as well. Um, he is later in time. But he said the greatest uh, Calvin was the greatest exegete of the Reformation age. He was the Reformation's greatest theologian, and he was the practical genius of the Reformation. We do not say he was the practical genius of the Reformation in spite of his learned commentaries and his profound and profoundly reasoned theology. We would better say it was in large part because of them. Calvin probably never did a more practical thing than expound the scriptures day by day with the penetrating insight and the clear searching honesty of a comet in which he is unsurpassed. And he certainly never did a more practical thing than write the Institutes of the Christian Religion. And pretty much what B.B. Warfield was getting at is this man dedicated his life for the calling of Christ. So how much more should we? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I think the takeaways are really cool. I was telling Jesse Holmes this morning what we were talking about. And I think, you know, we've done a couple of episodes on the importance of scripture and the importance of reading. Let the legacy of John Calvin kind of hit you with that as well. Mm. He gave his daily life to the searching of the scriptures. Mm-hmm. You can't produce these kinds of work unless you are in the scriptures. And, and if God has placed a call on your life for ministry, we should desire to exhaust ourselves for the sake of Christ, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I, I told, you know, one of my favorite quotes I always go back to is if you are called into ministry, you'll have an ever abounding joy and love for the work of the ministry. And here Calvin saw the sick as important. He saw the preaching as important, the studying as important. He saw every aspect of it. And so how much more should we? But also to the layperson, right? So not just to those in call to ministry, to the layperson. Uh, in Christ, we are called to study the scriptures. How are we going to know the one who has saved right. us if we don't? Well, I think that's why both with him and Ulrich Zwingli, they, they came to their realizations because they dug into the scripture. Mm-hmm. They realized something was wrong. And they went to the scripture to find answers and they found it. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. And I think, I think in the day and age that we're in, you know, when you start hearing things, you're like, I don't know about this. What do we do? We go to the right. scriptures. Absolutely. We have to turn to the scriptures here. You never saw these men that God has used turning to man. Uh, I mean, they were in obviously fleshful men, but what did you see in their writings? You saw them turning God. I need the answer from you. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that they might not have stumbled, right? sinful man. I ain't trying to worship them. But the facts are the facts. More times than not, they were in the scripture searching for truth so that they could lead God's people to it. Mm. And that's where we've got to be. Um, man, I love, I love to talk about this, man. We might have to bring back this next year when we get to October again, or maybe even in the spring. Who knows? Y'all know me. Church history is my heart. Mm. Um, systematic theology and church history. So... It's good stuff. But um, anything we want to add before we send the people off, before we approach the week before Reformation Day? <laughs> Y'all, I get more excited about Reformation Day than I think do Thanksgiving, okay? Mm. Yeah. Well, you guys mm-hmm. sharpen me in this area because this isn't my <laughs> my first passion that isn't this era of history. So, No, I'm, you, weren't, you weren't here last week. I told James because he actually gave me 
a heads up this weekend last week about what we're talking about, so I had time to prepare. <laughs> I told him, I said, man, you sent me down a rabbit hole. Well, I was reading some of the stuff. Some of the stuff I was going to comment on yeah. was uh, the amount of sermons he preached. Yeah. And I was just like, goodness gracious. And mm-hmm. it did say he kind of burned himself out to death. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Which you can learn from that. Hey, this did. He gave his all. But you could also say, hey, what if he would have had 20 more years? Right. Um, yeah. What kind of life but, would he have had? Yeah. But uh, I thought of Joshua chapter 1. This was on my mind this weekend. But it says, only be strong and very courageous. We remember that. Mm-hmm. But he says, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. that You may have good success wherever you go. Then I like verse 8. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Mm. I see that in John Calvin. Yeah. But you shall meditate on it day Day, and night, night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. I thought about that day and night. And uh, I'm guilty sometimes. My Bible reading kind of becomes my check off. Let's Mm. go on with the day, which I need it. But I think about that. Hey, what am I doing this evening? Why am I sitting here watching this program? Right, right. I can be in the Word. Right, right. Um, And that's such a, you know, you think about these guys. They didn't have those distractions, Mm -hmm. but there were distractions. I I mean, life has always had distractions. They were just so disciplined. Mm -hmm. And so what we take away is we've got to discipline ourselves even more. Because, I mean, I'll I'll end on this. Like One of my biggest uh, desires, you know, I, I always get the question, what's the end goal? Like youth ministry, you eventually have to move on. I'm like, you know what? I'll be 60 in youth ministry if God needs me to play spike ball at 60, okay? <laughs> but um, you know, like one of the big end goals for me in the sense of later down the road is I want to I be a professor. I, I love studying and teaching. Um, but I remind myself of to get there, you've got to discipline yourself, mm-hmm. but you've got to surrender daily before the Lord as well. And you got to trust that he's going to lead you through that discipline. And then also when we are disciplined, you think about the joy and satisfaction we have in Christ. It's unreal. Mm-hmm. And I, you see that in Calvin, you see the joy he had for the Lord. And so the takeaway and some of the direct applications is, man, let us strive to be so disciplined in the word that that is where our soul joy is. Cause there, we didn't talk about the struggles of Calvin's life. There were many, right? But there was so much more joy in his life that I think they, they pushed the struggles to a dark corner and he saw Jesus as the sole light in his life. Yeah. And so, Hey, I'm looking forward to next week. Next week we finished this thing off with Martin Luther. Um, and Martin Luther, uh, out of all of these guys was probably the most boisterous. Maybe John Knox a little bit more. Maybe, I don't know. John Knox was, uh, he's crazy, <laughs> but Martin Luther with that hammer, and we may talk about some of that, you know, conspiracy behind that. If mm-hmm. there's some people like, oh, it wasn't really on the Church of Wittenberg. And I'm like, and eh, I don't care what you say. History will prove. Okay. And so we're going to have some fun with that. Brother Luther will be in the house. And so, guys, it's going to be fun. Let's approach next week with some excitement. Until then, though, go and serve your king in the words of Todd Friel. Shabbat Shalom. See you next week.